know, when I was growing up in the 70s, Puff was a magic dragon. And <laughs> he lived by the sea, but there was some other stuff associated with Puff <laughs> that some of us needed to get saved from in the 70s. <laughs> some of you are shaking your head a little more than others. <laughs> Indicative of your past, apparently. <laughs> oh, well, great to be with you guys again this morning. I'm going to do something sharing from the Word this morning that's, that's going to connect with just where we are. How many of you guys were not here last week? Okay, just want to make sure of how many folks are understanding where, what's happening with us as a church. Last week we announced to the church briefly at the close of the service uh, that the Lord was was moving Matt and Paula to Birmingham to be a part of a, a church there called the Church at Brook Hills, and that this had been a process that we had been praying with them and seeking the Lord together with them since the uh, middle part of the fall, I guess it was, as uh, the church there had, had lost their worship pastor and were aware of Matt and contacted him, I think it was back in October, and uh, began a conversation with him. Matt began to, to pray about whether the Lord was leading that way or not. And after many visits and much investigation and prayer, uh, that became more and more clear to Matt and Paula that that was the Lord's desire for them to become a part of the church at Brook Hills uh, in Birmingham. And so they will be headed that way in a couple of weeks. And we wanted to to give a few weeks for you guys to be able to, to connect with them and express your appreciation to them. But one of the things that's unique about this for us, I think it's, I'm not sure it's unique, it's unique for us, is that we don't do much by way of departures. That's just, you know, I don't know, we're like flypaper or something, you know, people come here and never leave. Um, <laughs> And, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. You know, that it just hasn't been many pastors uh, who have departed. And so realizing we probably don't know how to do departing real well because we just haven't done it much. And yet departure is a, is a normal thing in Scripture. Uh, it happens. And, it, and God is in it when it's happening. And, and let me say this because, you know, there was a, a part of the series that we've been doing on the Holy Spirit uh, coming up would, would be dealing with the ministry of the Spirit through the gift of leadership in the church, particularly through the pastoral gifting in the body of Christ. And, and so I would want to be able to, to make sure we're aware that a pastor's departure from a church is, is a significant event. And it's not just a significant event if you look at it from the standpoint of some institution we call the church and a pastor departing from that institution. Well, that's a significant thing. Uh, well, that's an incorrect understanding of the church in some ways because the church is the individuals seated in each chair collected together as a means of God caring for us together in one place. And so a pastor's departure has to do with your life. It has to do with what God has been doing in your life. 
And so I, I would say this, knowing the reality that there would be some here who would be in touch with the fact that a pastor departing is very significant for them personally. There would be some here who would not feel that that's a significant event. Uh, it's like, you know, maybe even this morning you're saying, you, wait, dude, you're going to take a whole message on this this morning? <laughs> Don't I got other things going on in my life? Listen, if this is not a significant event in your life, then it tells you something about your understanding of involvement in the local church. So this should be a significant event in our lives if we're understanding that the gift of pastor is a ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a means of grace, according to Ephesians chapter 4. So there's, there's this dose of the grace of God, what we need to live our lives for the glory of God that comes to us uniquely as we kind of dial down the dial to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in a different area and listen and receive that way. So this is significant, and I, I think we probably need some help from Scripture uh, to understand how to respond to departures. And so if you'll turn to Acts chapter 20 with me, title the message today, and you can write that this is be three spaces for your outline there. I know you just got some open piece of paper today. I wanted you to just more listen than to get lost in detailed notes. Departures, destinations, and tears. Let's read in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God 
and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I've shown that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that he would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Lord, you have have preserved this story for your church. Lord, there is much insight here. And Lord, we pray for grace by the Spirit. Lord, thank you for this moment of the Spirit's ministry in our lives. Lord, we are not simply brains encountering words on a page right now. But Lord, we are a people indwelt by your Spirit who is in us to lead us into the truth. So guide us into this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the place where we find this story set is actually in a city just south of Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that Paul had spent about three years ministering there. As a matter of fact, it's about twice as long as him spending time anywhere else. So without a doubt, Paul had some unique connections with Ephesus. And, and Ephesus was, was a very, very important city at this time. I, I want to say it might be like the New York City of this region. It was, a, it was on a trade route. It was a port city. I mean, undoubtedly, you had something that looked like Wall Street going on there. They were very much into the, the drama world in the Greek setting of uh, open theaters, and so it probably had some Broadway kind of stuff going on. So this, this is a moving and shaking city in the region, and God has placed Paul there for nearly three years, and he's had quite a ministry in Ephesus, um, probably cast a shadow on the ministry that he had anywhere else. If you read through the passages in Acts preceding this particular passage, you find back in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it says, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And something happened here when Paul came to Ephesus and began to proclaim the gospel in Ephesus. His voice and the word of God went out to all the region. I mean, there was this megaphone effect. And how that happened, I'm not not quite sure whether that was just folks that were traveling in and out of the city that were taking the impact of the local gospel into the region, whether Paul was planting things in the region right around him where he was, which certainly seems that he was doing both of those things. But there was quite an impact in this part of the world where there was no gospel testimony To be able to say in a short period of time, in a matter of a few years, the whole region has heard the gospel. Chapter 19, verse 11 says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. I mean, stuff was catching people's attention. You know, if you ever wondered, if you're Paul and you're wondering, you know, is God really with me in this? Am I in the right place? You know, the supernatural tends to convince us of God's presence in a way that nothing else does. Right? I mean, you can get convinced God, God had to have done that. And amazing miracles are taking place. Later in verse 20 of chapter 19, it says, The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. 
One commentator, Clinton Arnold, said, Luke could have filled a whole volume with stories about Paul's ministry in Ephesus. As much as we have things written in the book of Acts, certainly that three-year period, right, a period of time as long as Jesus' ministry upon the earth, a Paul in Ephesus could have been a whole volume that Luke could have written about. So when you, when you visit the Apostle Paul in Ephesus, there's some serious stuff taking place. The kingdom of God is flourishing and exploding and strategic in a location. And then there's the sort of the human element of the connections that take place in Ephesus. Now here, this fledgling opportunity for the gospel to go forth, churches to be planted, the kingdom coming here, and Paul is partnering with people. You know, he's called the Ephesian elders to come meet him in Miletus, about 60 miles away. So he's got a connection with these guys. Before he goes to Jerusalem, he wants to meet with these folks. Three years together in ministry. Can you imagine the things that they have walked through together? You want to talk about church plant on steroids. This is regional church plant in an amazing way. I mean, you have Paul's own testimony in verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And these guys walked with Paul through that season. So there were near misses, there were challenges, there were obstacles that came against the ministry that they all scratched their head and they called prayer meetings and they freaked out together and they went through seasons of doubt together. And yet God pressed them through that one and then he pressed them through that one. And can you imagine the connection that existed in their lives? Notice me pausing. I'm flirting with how much to relate this to Matt's situation. Because I have to, I have to get through the whole message. So if I'm dealing with Paul, you know, he's a dude on the page in the Bible. And I love him dearly, but I don't really know Paul. So if I'm pausing, I'm wondering whether I should tell stories or not at this point. Um, but I'll just warm up close to it and not get specific. I mean, can you imagine, you know, over the 12-plus years just since these guys have been here with us, the things that, that, that we've walked through together. You know, the seasons of life that we have gone through. The seasons of the church that we have gone through. The, the uniqueness of the whole Katrina event, right? You still meet people from New Orleans, and where's the touch point for you, when you talk to them? It's like post-storm, pre-storm realities, right? And then we walk through those seasons together. And so, like the Apostle Paul, you know, we have, we have we've been doing life together. And that has uniquely bonded our hearts, right? This is what John Piper says about pastoral ministry. He says, tears, I think I've got an overhead for this. You guys with me back there? There we go. Tears can come from physical pain or from heart-rending loss or from unbearable frustrations and discouragements or from intense yearning or from overwhelming joy. I think what we should learn is that serving the Lord means getting so intensely involved in people's struggles that you cry over them. Between the time I left home as a teenager in 1964 
the time I became a teaching elder, a pastor of this church in 1980, I think I could have counted on one hand the number of times I cried in 16 years. But since I became one of the shepherds of this flock, I cry a lot more. It doesn't get less as the years go by. There is a uniqueness to walking through life together. I was trying to maintain my flat effect personality for today. You know, just distant, uncaring Keith. Um, <laughs> but I, I couldn't even sit through communion without crying this morning. I just because I, I'm watching you guys walk by, and I'm, I'm watching your stories. And I'm seeing where God did something in your life, and some great restoration that took place, some season of struggle that we've walked through together. Some, uh, some have gone through physical challenges. Some have had their faith turned inside out and squeezed to death, and I'm watching you guys walk by. I'm thinking, I, I have no idea how I would do departure. I don't you know one story after another. And that's, that's Paul's experience in Ephesus. He's connected to these people. They've, they have shared life in a deep and effective way. In verse 20, he adds one more connection that's unique. How I did not, he said, shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. This, this is a unique connection that I think God creates. Maybe it's a byproduct of the effect of the word of God in our lives. But, but whoever proclaims to us the word of God in our lives gets access to our hearts in a unique way. And so there's this bond that Paul is aware of that exists between him and the folks that he's been preaching the word of God to all these years that their hearts are uniquely joined to him because, you know, even if they didn't know Paul all that well, there was, there was a deep truth that he brought from God's word that reached into their reality that made a difference to them. So even if they weren't hanging out and having coffee with Paul on a regular basis, Paul was saying things to them that was making a difference on a regular basis in their lives, and so they had this sense of connection to Paul. All right, so that's Paul in Ephesus. And if you back up the beginning of chapter 20, verse 1, it says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. No matter how you slice it, there was a moment in which Paul would move on and he would depart from their lives in spite of the unbelievable fruitfulness that took place in his ministry there. In spite of the life experience and the stories they had written together about the kingdom of God and walking through people's seasons with them. In spite of the depth of the ministry of the word of God, there comes a point in which Paul departs from them. Just say this. I don't know how else to say this. Paul was not betraying them when he left. 
There were deep connections and meaningful connections in Paul's life there. Paul was not betraying these people to move on from them somewhere else. Now, can you understand why I obviously need to say that? Because there's something not normal about living in such close proximity to one another, being committed to one another, taking up each other's lives and issues together, and then at any point finding yourself moving on from the people you've been doing that with. It, it feels like there's something wrong with that. That, that just can't be right. It, it feels awkward and guys, you are not betraying us by leaving. Do you understand? I want you to know that. Um, it, it was, it was un, certainly a, an unbelievable difficulty for these guys to have the Apostle Paul depart. But, but we need to be able to do departures well. You guys have been a part of a church for a long time, uh, you know. And, and you know, Jeff just stood up here and preached covenant groups, and we, we believe in commitment to one another. We believe in winding our lives together in such a way that it's significant and it matters, and and people know what's going on in your world, and they're carrying your burdens, and they've made a difference in your life. As a matter of fact, if there aren't people making a difference in your life, then you're you're not involved in biblical relationships. So, you know, we preach that and then someone departs from that, right? If you've, if you've ever changed churches, right, you, you can feel like you're betraying people by leaving, right? Some of you that are here, you, you kind of know something about that. Now, I'm, I'm going to make some kind of a point here, I hope, in the message that, you know, there's, there's right reasons to leave and there's wrong reasons to leave. But listen, all departures shouldn't be greeted with this sense of that shouldn't be. Like our first step, that shouldn't be. Uh, no, there are biblical departures that are in the plan of God, that have a date on a calendar that God has established. And when we arrive at that date, it's news to us, it's not news to God. Right, you do realize in this room, a bunch of us are going to do departures in a bunch of different ways. Like I'm going to empty the front row at some point. There'll be a bunch of departures going on in my world. I'm not excited about any of them. <laughs> but God appoints that there would be departures. Uh, can, I, can I just tweak out a little idea here? You know, we, we want you to be a part of a covenant group. We want you to be committed to those relationships there. We want you to spend time with those people. Okay, that doesn't mean you have a life sentence to that covenant group. <laughs> Just serving my time, you know, because I, I could never leave, you know. I mean, you guys know this. The moment you feel like I'm, God's changing some things, different season of my life, I, you know, all of a sudden God is beginning to knit me together with some other folks, and they're in that group over here, but I'm in this group over here. And, you know, if I... I can't leave if I left. How would I tell the leaders it would feel like such betrayal? Doesn't that feel like betrayal? Listen, it, it, it shouldn't feel that way. 
right? So I, I don't know. I don't know if there's, there's anything that we have said that's created this sense that that you just can never leave stuff that you're committed to. Uh, no, there are a few things like marriage. There, there are some things in our lives that, that we cannot leave. But, you know, covenant groups is, is a thing that God might change something in your life. And you might find yourself in a different season uh, pursuing other people for a variety of reasons that in the timing of God, that's God for you. And so, and one of the things we're going to do, we're going to try to strengthen our covenant group this year. But one of the things that we're going to do is install more off-ramps in covenant groups. Because some people lose vision for those relationships and they just stop doing anything in the category of relationships. And you ask them, uh, you're in a covenant group? Oh, I'm in so-and-so's. Well, oh, really? <laughs> well, your leader hasn't seen you in a long time. <laughs> uh, but you just don't know how to tell them that. Well, uh, I want to betray them and the whole group too. I just want to turn my back and run. Uh, listen, you know, God, God is in departures. Sometimes, and I think if we're understanding departure biblically, that will help us. Um, let, me, let me say this about departures: as I as I began to think about sharing some thoughts with us today, and I began to scan departures in the Bible, it it wasn't a pretty scene, right? There's a lot of departures in the Bible that really, the tears in those departures, they're not tears like the Ephesian elders were shedding. Uh, they're, they're tears because sin entangled those relationships in a terrible way that resulted in departures, right? I mean, you go through the Old Testament. Cain departs from his family. Not on a happy note. Cain is under a curse, and he's going to wander away from his people because of jealousy in his own heart. That became murderous, and sin became a source of conflict, and his departure wasn't a good departure. Abraham and Lot are going to set out together towards the promised land, looking for God's promises to be fulfilled, but the people with Abraham and the people with Lot are going to get into conflict, and they're not going to be able to continue together. And as a result of the conflict, they part ways. Jacob... Jacob departs from his family wrapped up in a problem, wrapped up in sin. I mean, he and his mom have, have come together, and there's some family strife going on, and he's stolen the birthright, and his brother Esau has been defrauded, and he's revengeful and wants to kill him, and Jacob's got to run for his life. That, you know, these are not fun departures. Joseph departs from his family, being betrayed by his brothers and being sold as a slave. Because of the hostility in their hearts, their, his departure takes place. And if you come into the New Testament, you know, and even all the New Testament departures are good ones. Right, Demas gets mentioned by the Apostle Paul. He says, Demas has deserted me, having loved this present world. Demas left the work. Demas, who had been with Paul, Demas, they have walked together in ministry. And yet he is going to depart, not on good terms. He's going to depart with an appetite for the world. I'm sure there was, there was not tears like the Ephesian elders were, sh were shedding there. Paul and Barnabas, partners in ministry, 
amazing partners in ministry. Foundations are laid for our understanding of what the New Testament's about and what the church age is about by these two men partnering together. And yet, they're going to part ways. And when they part ways, it's not going to be pretty, right? Look at this passage in, in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are, right? Innocent enough. These guys have been on the first missionary journey. They were partners together in Antioch where Barnabas laid the foundations for a church and did a church plant there and immediately knew that the gifting needed to solidify this church's future is in a man named Saul of Tarsus. And, and Barnabas calls for Saul, brings him to Antioch. They partner together. They proclaim doctrine and truth to this church. They establish it. And then as the church grows, it becomes the sending center. It is a birthing church in the New Testament. Perhaps the greatest birthing church in the New Testament is the church in Antioch. And one day in a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 13, the leaders of the church are together praying. And the Bible says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Saul and Barnabas for the work into which I will send them. And they send them out. And they go off on this missionary journey, the first missionary journey, to go proclaim the gospel and plant churches. And it's, it's amazingly fruitful. They come back to Antioch. They tell the stories of what God has been doing. And then at some point, they're going to go back out and strengthen those churches. All right, that's the history leading to this moment. So the Holy Spirit has partnered these two guys together. There's been amazing fruit in their lives. And now they're about to step off and go off again. Verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. If you read that a little quickly, if you read that quickly and you forget Acts chapter 13, verse 2, the Holy Spirit had partnered these two men together. I'm thinking sharp must mean sharp. <laughs> Pretty darn stinking sharp of a disagreement between these two guys that they would depart from one another. Listen, this, this is a reality. This is, <clears throat> this is an unfortunate reality. But, but we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where no relationship, no relationship that involves two human, two human beings is going to get to escape the impact of sin touching that relationship. Right? There's no relationship more dear to us in this room than our husband and wife relationship. And yet sin is interfering with that thing all the time, isn't it? Well, here are two men <clears throat> walking together, godly men. They're walking together, and, and yet there's going to be this tension that comes between them. Right? The, the church would do well to pay attention to these passages. Not, not so that we could celebrate this sort of thing, but, the, but there could be some reality when we walk with leaders. Right? You guys know who are part of the church here. We've been walking for many months through some issues in the leadership of Sovereign Grace. 
and watching men react to each other and watching how things have been handled and mishandled and uh, conflicts that have not been easily resolved. And, you know, you, you look at that and there are men you respect and you scratch your head and you back away. And I hope it will back away and go, how on earth does that happen? Well, you know, it happens just like it happened here. Right, and one of the, one of the realities that, that for me, uh, it, it makes sense, but maybe we don't all think about some of these things, is, you know, the moment you create something that you want to call a team, a leadership team, you, you, have, you have just, you've just created something that immediately is a challenge to pull off. Because what, what happens when God calls someone to lead? Well, to lead means to have this sense of momentum and direction in you. It's this thing that compels you to go somewhere. That, that's what makes a leader lead. So you have these ideas, these burdens, and you begin to move in that direction. Well, that's great if you just leave me alone and let me do it. But then you create these things called teams. And it's a good thing because the plurality in the Bible calls for that. Now you've stuck a few people in the same room who all have burdens and eagerness and this thing going on inside of them that God has set on fire. And then there's humanness mixed in with that. So everybody wants to go, but, you know, they don't all want to go in the same direction at the same time. I want to go later. I want to go now. If you don't go now, you're, you're the biggest sinner I know. We need to go now. Uh, well, I think we should go this way. No, no, we should go this way. All right, so this is what you got going on here in Paul and Barnabas. This is what you have going on on any leadership team. You have this constant tension pulling of burden and passion and leadership gifting and yet a call for that team to make one decision together. Right, so, so don't anybody be shocked that there are challenges and conflicts amongst leaders. Uh, the only way you don't get challenges and conflicts is if you have one leader and a bunch of followers. Then everything's smooth. Now, why I, I put this under the headline for me of reality and rejoicing. Um, because we have received so much grace in this category. To walk together as a team of men who are everything that I just described. And yet we have enjoyed incredible unity together and relationship with one another. I mean, really, what you see is kind of who we are. There, there's it's not some hidden behind-the-scenes thing about us. Um, and so I, as I look at the body of Christ, as you look through church history, as you just examine the Bible, as you visit things in churches that you know people in, uh, I have great, great cause for gratitude that we have experienced so many years together of unity. And so I just, I just want to, I want to thank these guys. I want to thank Peter. I want to thank Pete. I know he's somewhere. I want to thank Jeff. I want to thank Matt before he gets out the door. As, as a pastoral team, uh, I, I am so grateful to see that, that a day like today where somebody's going to be departing is, is not because there was sharp disagreement. 
Because that's not what's happening here. This is a day where we can rejoice over what amazing grace we have experienced to walk together with, with what makes us all unique and what burdens us differently and what affects us differently. And where for 12 years or so, we have bumped into different ideas and challenged one another and related to one another and addressed one another's sin, cared for one another, and failed at all that and succeeded sometimes too. <laughs> and yet to be able to have a day here where departure is not accompanied by regret. So I, I'm grateful to God for these men. I'm grateful to Bill and Phil and Steve who have played a role in our team as well for these many years. This is, this is a gift from God. And I don't want to take it for granted. It's one of, the, one of the things that as we began to transition, the Lord just informed me again. Keith, make sure you're praying about unity. And uh, I think I shared it with the team when I kind of began to sense that. And, you know, duh, that's in the Bible all over the place. People should be praying for unity. But you know what I had realized? I hadn't really prayed much about unity in years. You know, I mean, maybe you pray for unity if, if you're disunified, and that makes sense then, right? It's like, oh, we've got to fix something here, and it just hasn't been this urgent, we better pray for unity thing. So this is a gift from God, that departures can happen, they do happen in Scripture, and that they can be done in a day of rejoicing and not in a day of regret. Let me talk for a moment about destinations. Um, you know, we're, we're here in Acts chapter 20, and Paul is going to depart from Ephesus. Now, you do realize that, you know, there's sort of two ends to departing. There's the backside and there's the front side, you know. There's some people that are going to see something move away, and then there's some people that are going to see something move this way. Well, for Ephesus, uh, I don't know what Ephesus was thinking when Paul was departing Antioch. Remember, Paul had been a part of the church in Antioch. He had built that church. He had ministered effectively to that church. And at some point, Paul departs from Antioch and comes to Ephesus. And so the only reason why Paul's in Ephesus that we get to hear this amazing story about his ministry and his life is because he's already done the departing thing before. And I don't think the folks in Antioch were going, whoo, yeah, glad that dude's finally gone. <laughs> uh, I bet that was a challenging day for the people in Antioch to release Paul but destinations, remember this phrase in life. You know, there, there are places to go and things to do. And I got places to go and things to do. I mean, that, that's sort of the, that's a good sound bite for the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there are places to go. And there are things to do. Now, some of us, we, we just fall in love with creating this sense of, of local equilibrium. You know, in our lives, so it's in our home, it's in our marriages, it's in our church. We just, we just want things to feel settled and balanced and, uh, oh, that's, that's, that's the way it should feel. That's the way, that's the way it's supposed to be. Look, you know, can you just take equilibrium and scratch it off your list in the kingdom of God? Because I don't think God is after equilibrium. Matter of fact, God often puts things in a, in a sense of imbalance 
because it drives us to him in a certain way. And when God moves things, it creates this non-equilibrium. Things are moving. Things are changing. Different needs are going to get awakened. Needs that have been met for a long time are no longer going to be met the same way. Things will feel different. Well, but that's how the kingdom of God is. Right? Remember this passage, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. I like the way the NIV says that. And forceful men lay hold of it. Right? In the kingdom of God, there's somewhere to go. The kingdom is going somewhere. And somehow that involves us traveling from this state of existence to this one. And then when we get there, guess what? There will be another place to go. There will be another place for us to put our feet here and to learn how to walk there. And things will change. Geography will change. People will change in our lives. And then God will call us again to advance the kingdom of God. Go, therefore, into all the world is a recipe for departures. You can't fulfill the Great Commission without departing to go do it. I hope you all can tell how much I really love this message. <laughs> I, I, I don't love that. I don't. I'm sorry. I just don't. I, I love it when I look through the lens of the glory of God and the kingdom of God. But personally, I, I'm not digging departures. But yet I've got to have a place for it in my heart where I know that, that God is in departures because God is into destinations. He's moving his kingdom somewhere, and we need to be ready to go. Ken Hughes says, we should be determined to finish the course, whatever the cost. A man or woman who never does anything except what can be done easily will never do anything worth doing at all. Think of what such an attitude means to the church. Think of what it means to the missionary enterprise. You and I can't be fighting in our hearts to have equilibrium. And everything just seems and feels right now. Don't mess with it. No, what we're fighting for is for the kingdom of God to go forward. For in our day, the kingdom of God to go from where it is right now to where it can be for the glory of God. I mean, that's, that's how it came to us. Right? If the kingdom of God ever stops advancing, you and I would never have made the list. And yet, God found us. Now, can you imagine in Antioch, the day that the announcement comes that Saul and Barnabas are departing. How many of you know that day felt like a disruptive element? That, that was not a day of rejoicing. This was not like the leadership team stood up in front of the church and said, hey, listen, we, we've been praying and we're deciding to get rid of some of the dead wood around here. And uh, so hope you guys don't mind, but we're cutting Saul and Barnabas. They're, they're out of here. I'm pretty sure Saul and Barnabas are having an amazing impact in the church in Antioch right up until the moment where they walk out the door to go on the first missionary enterprise, one that will eventually lead Paul to Ephesus. Let me, let me do ask you this just to make sure that all of, us, all of us have destinations. At least we should be aware that we have destinations that are going to inform our departures. All right, so you're going to leave some things in order to pursue something else. You're going to make some changes in your life because of that. My question for you is, what, what, what destinations are informing your departures? 
Right? I, I hope that's, that you're not in a place where, you know, certainly wasn't Paul's influence to leave Antioch uh, because he was just lazy and didn't want to do the work anymore. Right? I mean, where's Paul? I don't know. What, you know, he's, he's a leader in the church. Man, he's, he's teaching and caring for us. Where, where is he? Uh, I don't know. Just, just, he just doesn't come around much anymore. You know, destination nowhere, right? He's got nowhere to go. He's just lazy and just giving into that. Okay, listen, just, there's lots of people. You, you may be wrestling through some issues in your own life at some point where that's your destination in departing. You depart from where God's called you in advancing the kingdom because just don't feel like it. Okay, that's not a good destination. Departing in order to avoid conflict. There's been offense. There's been some relationship struggle that's taken place. As people walk together, inevitably that's going to happen. If you get close enough to people to actually call it biblical fellowship, you are going to have a fresh experience in forgiveness. It's a guarantee. If you want to stay away from expressing the doctrine of forgiveness through your life, then stay away from people. And then stay away from imagining what those people you're not around are thinking about you. You know, you got to do all that stuff. But if you get around people and you walk together, there's, there's going to be offense. There's going to be conflicts. Okay, and so at some point, you're going to depart for another destination. Okay, is there a destination or are you just running from, you know, any direction's fine. I can go this way. Let me go that way. I'll go this way. I just want to get away from here. Okay, that's not a good destination. If you're trying to leave churches or leave covenant groups, that is not a good destination, right? As a matter of fact, if, if you're here, right, maybe you haven't been attending here for too long, and the, the means through which you ended up in this church was that kind of a thing. You had some kind of conflict in the church that you were a part of. You got on the wrong end with some person in the church, some leader in the church, or some disagreement with the pastor, and you've, you've never gone to those people to work that out. They have no idea why you're gone. You've never explained to them, I felt like this happened in our relationship. Or I, I felt like when you teach this, this is, this is what you believe and this is where you're headed. And, and you have departed without ever saying anything to them. Can, can I beg you, go back to wherever you came from and do that right you may find out that you are terribly misinformed about those people and you misunderstood something they did or said or didn't say and your whole heart toward them will be changed and God has you there and he doesn't have you here. So we're not just trying to get people in this building at all costs. No, no, be here because God's got, this is a destination for you. But that's not what's happened. Or if you want to change covenant groups, Right, that is the one gauntlet that you will run. Right, I know it feels like a gauntlet to change groups sometimes, but the one gauntlet you will run is, is we're probably going to ask and make sure that there's no conflicts that you're running away from, that somebody in the group hasn't offended you or that you have ill feelings towards the leader because you had these expectations and they did this instead of that, and now you're just kind of run away from that. Well, let's resolve that. doesn't mean God's not moving you, but let's resolve that biblically. And then... Then we can move. All right, let me, let me take a moment just to visit this passage from the standpoint of hindsight. Right? Decisions get made in our life, departures, changes in our life. And there's going to come a day 
where we're going to revisit this decision. Paul, I'm sure, had opportunities for that. Matt and Paula will have opportunities for that. Lakeview Christian Center will have opportunities for that. To revisit, in hindsight, was that a good decision, right? So let me, let me, start, with, let me start with Matt and Paula for a moment. That at some point, you may revisit this decision. And, and you're going to be looking at it with a whole different set of data than you can look at it now. Right, so when I, I look at Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas depart from Antioch, enter into an amazing season of fruitfulness, followed by a severe conflict that causes them to part ways. Um, all right, now, at which point do you want to question whether that was a good decision? While it's being fruitful, oh, well, no one questions it then, but it's, it's when a, a relationship falls apart, when something gone has gone bad. The temptation would be, was, was that God? Right? Was that really God in Acts chapter 13 for us to feel led together to partner? Was that, do we miss God? Right? Hindsight is going to have its opportunity to revisit your guy's decision. When you read Paul's personal story here, Acts chapter 20, verse 22, Paul says, I go not knowing what will happen. I've got a little bit of a sense. I've got some words from people, chains and afflictions. But, you know, I'm not really sure what's going to happen when I go. Well, if you know anything about the rest of the Apostle Paul's life, uh, pretty much the rest of his life. If you go into just one chapter away in chapter 21, Paul is going to spend almost the rest of his ministry years in jail. He's going to be in jail in Caesarea. He's going to be under guard while traveling to Rome, and then he's going to spend time in a Roman prison there. Now, in that moment, it had to have been very tempting to wonder, should I have ever left Ephesus? By comparison, look what was going on in Ephesus. Right, we just took a little snapshot of his ministry in Ephesus. It was a pretty amazing thing for him. And, and, and it didn't, ministry in prison, that, that couldn't have been like, yeah, yeah, this feels so right. You know, I can't visit any churches I've planted. Uh, i got to beg for people to bring stuff to me. I'm hoping somebody local here will take up my cause, maybe help me get some outside stuff inside the jail. That would be cool. Can somebody bring me the scrolls? I don't even have anything to write or read with. Uh, it had to have felt terribly different than what he had been experiencing. And in that moment, you revisit. Hindsight revisits. Um, for Lakeview. We will have opportunity to revisit departures, changes, decisions that get made to change things from what it was to what it will become. Right? Apparently, Paul knew this. Look in verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know 
Paul knows this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. All right, this doesn't seem to be the Apostle Paul looking into the future and saying, who knows what could happen? He seems quite certain that I'm going to leave, and in the future, fierce wolves are going to attack you. And worse than that, from among yourselves, some of you are going to rise up and bring harm. That's what he says on his way to the boat. I mean, does anybody here question the Apostle Paul's wisdom in that moment? Paul, you have a thriving church in Ephesus. And, and you're, you're basically foreseeing that some serious challenges are going to come to that church. And you're still cool with departing? Anybody want to question the Apostle Paul on that one? If you know much about the, the Ephesian church in the future, you might really want to question it. Timothy has problems in the Ephesian church that have to be addressed later on. 30 years later, the Apostle John is writing about this very church. Gen uh, Revelation chapter 2. There's some commendable things that have taken place in the history of that church, but by the time you get 30, 35 years later, the voice of that church is saying, telling them this, I have this against you. You have left your first love. You know, in, in spite of knowing that that's what happens in Revelation, I've never seen any commentator ever accuse Paul of making a mistake right here. Apparently, it was the right thing for him to do, even though there was going to be difficulty once that decision was made and walked out. Listen, departures when they're meaningful, and they're meaningful people in our lives, they, they, they create some of what Paul's concerned about. They create vulnerability. Right? Without a question, I, I feel the vulnerability of Matt's departure. And, and what, I, what I don't want us to do is to interpret that like, well, God would never want us to feel vulnerable or be vulnerable, right? That's equilibrium searching. That's us saying, hey, we, we need to just be in this place of equilibrium where there's, there's no chance that any harm could come to us. That, that's not how God operates. God doesn't have your life on this collision course with comfort and predictability. So there is a place where Vulnerability gets created by change. Seasons of vulnerability, however long they go. But here is, here is Paul's remedy to vulnerability. And by the way, it's always been Paul's remedy. It's always been Paul's truth. It's always been the cornerstone for the church. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up 
and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul's answer for a season of vulnerability for the church, even with his departing, was I commend you to God. Your existence has always been about God and his grace towards you. The God who has found you in grace will sustain you in grace and will keep you in grace until you inherit all that he has intended for you in the end. That's always been God's doing. And don't get confused that God uses some people along the way as a means of grace, which Ephesians 4, when we look at in a couple of weeks, will show you that. Right? When he led captivity captive, he gave gifts to men. Right? Grace was given to men through the form of pastoral gifts. They're a means of grace in one's life. But when Paul departs, he recognizes that the means of grace comes from God to the church. It may travel now through this direction, but then it may travel through this direction. And these guys may move, and then it will travel through this direction. See, God can change the players and still have grace available for the church. So Paul's commendation, it's the, it's the same thing that's always been true about this church or any church. What's happening here is because of God and his grace. And we want to be careful not to ascribe that to the human vessels that God chooses to work through for a season. So our commendation in changes is still the same as it's always been, God and his grace. Now let me close with a thought here about tears. I wisely saved this one to last. (laughs) When you read this closing encounter between Paul and the Ephesian elders, these guys are weeping. There's some, some real tears taking place. You know, Departures in our lives, accompanied by tears, tell a story. Right? Tears testify about something. Right? We'll share thoughts like this often at a funeral because that departure is a permanent departure in your life. This person who's been in your life is no longer going to be there. They've They've departed out of this world. And there's, there's much tears that take place in that. And then there can be departures. I'm pretty sure when my kids walk the aisle and are standing and I'm realizing the departure from my life to a new season for them, there's going to be some serious tears. Listen, I'm already trying to figure out how to be a dad and how to be a pastor when my kids get married because I'm thinking... Yeah, like, like you could do a ceremony. <laughs> uh, it would be miserable and snotty, I think, just for me to even try. <laughs> and there's going to be some severe tears when friends depart. There are tears in their departure. And, you know, as one who's bound up in this equation with Matt and Paula. Um, I 
there are, there are tears because in, in some ways I, I'm, I feel like my kids are growing up and getting married and moving away. And so part of me sees the good in that. Marriage is a good thing. What Matt is going to do is a good thing. And I see the goodness of it. I really do. But I'm also kind of a parent who's seeing his son grow up and move away. And uh, unless you're like the Roberts and the Lorias and you manage to figure out how to keep your kids on the same block with you, <laughs> the rest of us will experience this kind of departure. Um, but I think they're going to be teaching a Sunday school class soon, so if you want to figure out how to keep that close, I'm going to attend for sure. Um, look at verse 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Departures should be painful because they testify as to who those people have been in our lives. They scream out the stories, the celebrations, the impact, the effect, the joy, the journey we've been on together, the trials, the things that we locked arms and tried to do and failed and the moments of encouragement and all that we prized as valuable. The tears testify about that. This was, this, was a healthy, this was a healthy team of men here. That's what, that's what a leadership team should experience, tears in departure. And undoubtedly, these guys are going to experience tears. Ken Hughes says this about departing. He says, pulling up roots to move to a new city driving around the block a second time to wave one last farewell traveling along a trail of tears to a new destination goodbyes are not only a common part of our experience they occupy prominent places in history so because what we have going on I hope you can see biblically the goodness of God in departures. Uh, The goodness of our tears in testifying to what these guys have meant to us through these many years now. And the goodness of God that God is advancing his kingdom and he is choosing to use those in our midst to do it. And for that we celebrate. I'm pretty sure the people in Antioch awaited news of what was happening in Ephesus and celebrated on a regular basis of how God's kingdom was popping up over there in a great way. So, listen, next week, uh, you're going to get to hear from Matt. And um, (laughs) yeah, sweet form of revenge on my part. <laughs> uh, we're going we're gonna to pray for them next week and commend them to the work of God.
that they are entering. Uh, and then we're going to have a reception after the service. Uh, we can hang around, uh, eat together, get a chance. I know many of you want to be able to interact with them. And, and, and just the brief settings we have here and getting together individually is not going to work for most. So that will be a time where we can just linger together and they can be available to, to connect with you guys and love on you and receive your love and appreciation as well. So that's coming next week. Let's pray together. Lord, we're always amazed at how your word foresees the situations of our lives and and you have included wisdom and insight from your word. And so, Lord, thank you for including this story from the Apostle Paul's life, from he and Barnabas walked together, from these churches and what they experienced. Lord, it helps us. It helps us to have your values. It helps us to cling to the big picture of what you're doing. So, Father, we take comfort in your word even as we experience sorrow and grief over the realities of what will be changing in our midst and in our lives. And Lord, as we've already said, Lord, that that testifies that you have been good to us. And Lord, we we are thankful for so many years to celebrate having worked together, building your kingdom, proclaiming your glory through this church and partnering with a man and his wife and their family who have brought so much joy to us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.